I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Hello, and welcome to the Leaves of Glen Mansion. It's a fun little bit where I pretend to live in a mansion and not just recording in my basement. This is where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. This week, now we're going to continue to read Judgment on Janice by Andre Norton. I... Uh, Want to learn a little bit about the author? Sure. Andre Norton, born Alice Mary Norton, February 17, 1912 to March 17, 2005, was an American writer of science fiction and fantasy, who also wrote books of historical and contemporary fiction. She wrote, eh, eh, primarily under the pen name of Andre Norton, but also under the Andrew North and Alan Weston. She was the first woman to be the Gandalf Grandmaster of Fantasy, and to be inducted by the Science Fiction Hall of Fantasy and Fame. Want to hear some fun facts? Uh, during 1940 to 1941, she worked as a special librarian in cataloging department of the Library of Congress. She was involved in a project related to alien citizenship, which was abruptly terminated upon the American entry to World War II. Sounds about right. And in 1941, she brought a bookstore called Mystery House in Mount Rainier, Maryland, uh, the eastern neighbor of Washington, D.C. The business failed, and she returned to Cleveland Public Library until 1950. Uh, when she retired due to ill health, uh, she began working as a reader for publish editor uh, Martin Greenberg at Gnome Press, a small press in New York City that focused on science fiction. Oh, she remained until 1958 when, with 21 novels published, she became a full-time professional writer. <clears throat> Want to hear something else? Sure, we got time to waste. In 1976, Gary Gygax invited Norton to play Dungeons and Dragons in his, mm, Greyhawk world. Norton subsequently wrote Quag Keep which involved a group of characters who travel from the real world of Greyhawk. Uh, it was the first novel to be set, at least partially, in the Greyhawk setting, and according to Alternative Worlds, the first to be based on D&D. Quad Keep was excerpted in issue 12 of The Dungeon, February 1978, just prior to the book's release. She and Jean Rabe were collaborating on the sequel uh, to Quad Keep when Norton died. Return to Quag Keep was uh, completed by Rabe and published by Tor Books in uh, January 2006. How much time we got left? Ah, oh, goddamn, we got a lot of time. Uh, the last un uh, un uh, short one is, as Norton's health became uncertain, she moved to Winter Park, Florida in November of 1966, where she remained until 1997. Then she moved to Murfreesboro, Tennessee. What the hell kind of city is that? In 1997, and was under hospice care from February 21st, 2005. She died at home on March 17th, 2005, of congestive heart failure. God, please tell me the grandfather... No, it's not ready yet. I got nothing to say. Uh, how's my life? Oh, my life's doing great. Uh, my cat, who I found out isn't just 25, he's actually almost 26. 
96 because he was bored in 1997, the vet told me. Uh, so I've been off by a year. Uh, he uh, has been having a lot of poop problems. Can't get it out. Keeps sticking one leg out like some kind of bulldog. Constantly trying to poop. It's disgusting. Uh, so we go to the vet, and the vet says, oh, he's probably got arthritis in his ass. So uh, they give us drugs for that. They say you could give him a whole pill or a half pill. So I'm like, give him the whole pill. I need him to start shitting like my little champion. <coughs> so instead, uh, what he does is he shits too much, where it's basically dribbling out of his ass all the time. It loosened up his butthole so much that he couldn't pinch it off. So it's just constantly dribbling stuff, little dots of things everywhere. And then collection of poop over by the kitchen. Another collection of poop by the front door. And he works his way upstairs. Before, he used to work his way upstairs just to yell at me because he was hungry. But now he works his way upstairs just to show me that he's dripping out his ass. So I brought his uh, pill level down. And it uh, looks like today was the first day he didn't shit everywhere. So that was a relief. I was cleaning up his shits like three times a day. And then the dog would come over. And then the dog would just scoop it up with his big, huge tongue. And uh, so then it's like, oh, word on the street is this dog likes to eat shit. Okay, well, thank God the grandfather clock went off. Uh, why don't we dive into this story? Chapter 2, uh, Fringe of Forest. This is the lot, Garth Master. Oh, I forgot. It's been a few weeks since I've had to read this, and I forgot about all the stupid sci-fi names. Why should I hold back my wares? The Cargo Master of the Spacer Balanced Lightly. His fists, hmm, resting on his hips. A contemptuous light in his eyes. Besides the would-be customer, he was wire slim and boyish in appearance. Uh, for forest biting, for field work, you bring such as these. His contempt was great. But divided between the spaceman and his wares, uh, men who still have something to bargain with do not side on as labor. You well know, Garth Master, that we bring here any at all is something to be marveled at. So I'm getting distracted because the cat won't stop fighting with the box. Leave it alone. The settler himself was quite different from the miserable company he now fronted. In an age when most males of Tehran descent, no matter how remote from the home planet that strain might be, eradicated facial and body hair for its first appearance. Oh, burp, this hulking giant was a reversion to a primitive day. A fan of dense black beer sprayed across his barrel chest, making his face well up on his cheekbones. Oh, more hair matted the backs of his wide hands. As for the rest of him, he was gay. Oh, gray. Sorry, the cat just jumped up and it screwed me. His coarse fabric clothing, his hide boots and cap pulled down over more bushy hair. His basic speech? Nah. His guttural uh, his new intonations, and he walked heavily as if to crush down some invisible resistance. Tall, massive, he resembled one of the trees against which he and all his kind had turned their sullen hatred, while the men before him seemed pygmies yeah, of a weaker species. Now the cat's blocking my light. You gotta move. Just gonna, you're ruining the show. There were 
ten of those still shaken by the process of revival, and none of them had ever been the Garth Masters match physically. Oh, men without hope, as the cargo master pointed out, were, uh, were labor signers, and, and by that time they had reached the bottom of any port they had almost finished already, both physically and mentally. The settler glowered at each, his eyes seeming to strip the unfortunate as they rested in turn, measuring every defect of each underfed body. I am Kel- Kelu... Cosberg, from the fringe, I have forty vistas to clear before the first snow, and these, these are what you offer me. Oh, to get an hour's full of labor out of anyone would be a gift from the, from the sky. Ah, he made a sign of the air, eh, gesturing, and, and to ask a load of bark and such. Oh, it is a sin. The cargo master's expression was serious. A sin? Garth master? Do you wish to excuse me of such a force as a speaker here? Now, if so, I shall bring forward any proof. So many credits paid for, aside on fees and cost of transportation. Uh, freeze fees, yeah. And I think you will find the price well within the allowed bounds. Do you still say sin, Garthmaster Cosberg? Cosberg shrugged. Uh, a manner of speaking only. No, I make no charge. I don't doubt that you could bring your proof as I did, but a man must have hands to help him clear, even if they are those puny crawlers. I will take this one, and, uh, oh, and this, and, uh, and this, and finger indicated three in the labor line. Also, you. For the first time, he spoke directly to one of the laborers on view. Yes, you, third man from the end. What age have you? Oh, I forgot this guy's name. Niall Renfro <laughs> realized that demand was barked in his direction. His head still light, his stomach upset by the concoction they poured into him. He struggled to make a sensible answer. I don't know. You don't know, Cosberg echoed. What sort of an empty head is this one? And what does he, does he even know how many years he has? I've heard of such foolishness spoken but here by off-worlders, but this is above all. He speaks the truth. According to the records, Garthmaster, uh, he was a, uh, he's a space-born planet years, do not govern such. Cosberg's beard rippled. What does that look like? As if he chewed his words before spitting out. Space-born so well, he looks young enough to, to learn how to work with his hands. Him I will take also. Uh, these are full-time men. The cargo master grinned. Ah, for such a, a run to Janice. Ah, we were to waste space on less. Uh, you have the bark ready for loading, Garthmaster? Oh, I have the bark. Uh, we shall put it to the loading area to be on the road quickly. That is uh, necessary when one travels to the fringe. You before me, march. There is an unloading to be done, though by the looks of you, not much will pass by your muscles this day. The spaceport Janus was a cluster of prefabs about the uh, scorched apron of the landing field, uh, having the strangely temporary look of a uh, rootless place, ugly, yeah, with terrible, uh, sterile darkness to the dimple. Urged by a continuous rumble of orders, the laborers hurried in a line of carts. Their cargoes, unwieldy bundles of silver bark, were being transferred by hand to the growing stacks, carefully inspected by the ship's tally man. Uh, this goes there, Cosberg's simple instructions were made with the waves of his hand, indicating certain uh, carts and park, uh, bark piles. Can't speak. Niall looked up at the man standing in the nearest wagon, balancing a roll of bark to hand down. Oh, he was... It was a younger edition of Cosberg. There was no mistaking that they were father and son. And the lips, visible above it, pouted 
Like his father, he was dressed in heavy, ill-fitting gray clothing. In fact, all the men working along that line of rapidly emptying wagons presented a uniformity of drabness uh, that was like some army of uh, a service garb. But Niall had little chance to note that, for the bundle of bark slid toward him, and he had just time to catch it. Uh, the stuff was lighter than it looked, though the size of the roll made it awkward to manage. Uh, he got to his uh, got to stack safely, in spite of the unsteadiness of his feet. <clears throat> Three such journeys brought him back to an empty cart, and he stood still with a chance to look about him. Two heavy-shouldered, snorting beasts were harnessed to each of the wagons. Broad, flat hind feet and, and, and haunches were out of proportions to their slim front legs, uh, which ended in paws. <laughs> Cute. Uh, like his own hands, oh, they sat back on the haunches while the, uh, the hand paws, they industriously scratched in the hairy fur of their bellies and the color that was slightly blue, and the manes were black and dusty black, beginning their rounded rodent-like skulls and running down to the point with their spines, where they had no vestige of a tail. Wide collars about their shoulders were fastened in turn uh, to tongue and the, the cart by the web of harness, but nigh all could see no con- Control reigns. In Cosberg's hairy hand swept past his nose, and Niall climbed into the now empty wagon. He settled down on a pile of rough sacking, which still gave forth not unpleasant odor of the bark. Two of his fellow immigrants followed him, and the back of the cart was locked into place by his Garthmaster. The son, who had not uttered a word during the unloading, occupied a single raised seat at the front of the wagon. Now he raised a pole to wrap smartly in turn and two harness scratchers. Oh, they complained in loud snorts, uh, but moved away from the porch strip, their, play, their pace between uh, a hop and a walk, which made the cars really boring. Progress unevenly in a fashion, not comfortable for passengers. Uh, one of the men was uh, promptly and thoroughly sick, only managing to hang over the tail board in time. Niall studied his companions dispassionately. One was big. Even if he was only a bony skeleton of a man, he must have once been. Uh, he had the greenish-brown skin of a former space crewman, huh? And the flat, uh, empty eyes of one who had been on more than one happy dust spree, whatever that means. Now he simply sat with his shoulders planted against the side of the cart, his twitching hands hanging between his knees, a burned-out hulk. The one who had been sick still leaned against the tailboard, clawed fingers anchoring him to that prudent position. Fair hair grew sparsely round a, a round skull, his skin a doe white. Niall had seen his like before, too. Some skulker from the port who had signed up for fear of the law, or because he had a chance to cross, seriously, a VIP of the underworld. You, kid, the man Niall watched, turned his head. You know anything about this place? Niall uh, shook his head. Labor recruiters and said Janus agriculture. In spite of the jiggling process of the cart, he, he ventured to pull himself up, wanting a chance to see the countryside. Oh, they were following a road and beaten bare earth, running between fenced fields. Niall's first impression was of somberness. In its way that this landscape was devoid of color and life as the blocks of the dipple. The plants of the fields were low bushes set in crisscross lines, while the fences which protected them were stakes of peeled wood and upright and weaving of lines between them. Oh, mile after planet mile of <laughs> such planet mile. But uh, in the far distance, the dark smudge that might mark either hills or woodland. Uh, what else that? The man had moved away from the tailored edging around to join Niall. Niall shrugged. I don't know. 
Ah, they might be companions in exile here, but that had no liking for the other. Small but very bright and knowing eyes surveyed him. From Dipple, aren't you, mate? Me? I'm Simtylos. Oh, my God. Niall Renfro. Ugh, don't do it in a row like that. Yes, I'm from the Dipple. The Dipple. Tylos snickered. Thought you was going to get your, yourself a, a new start-off boot? What? Uh, whatever. The counters don't uh, never run that way across the table. You just picked yourself another hole to drop into. Maybe, Niall replied, and he watched that smudge of the meeting of the drab, unhappy land with the sky that carried a faint tinge of green. Suddenly, he wanted to know more about that dark line. Approach it closer. The hop shuffle of the animals drawing the wagon was swift. And the group five wagons, uh, their own, the leading one, was covered round a steady and distance-heating space. Oh, Sim Tylos, with a lifted finger indicated the driver of his own cart. Suppose he'll talk a bit. Ask him. Niall let Tylos, I hate these names, pass him, but did not follow when the other took stand behind the driver's seat. Gentle homo? It literally says gentle homo dash dash. Okay. Gentle homo, Tylos... Tylos's voice. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Tylos's voice was now a placating whine. Gentle homo, will you? What you want, field man? The younger of Cosberg's basic uh, was even more gutterly accented than his father's. Uh, just some information, gentle homo. What is gentle homo? Honey, have you ever heard of gentle homo before? What's that? It can't be a thing, but they're saying it so much as if we're supposed to know what it is. I don't know. It's just one word, gentle homo, with always two dashes afterwards. You going to look it up for me? Thank you. <laughs> You're not helping. I got to move on. <laughs> Gentle homo with two dashes. Gentle homo, all one word. Uh, if that is not a thing, what is this book called? The book is called The Judgment of Jan- uh, on Janus. So you got nothing. nothing. All right. So, but you got Gentle Home is a skincare product? Yeah. All right. Well, that's close. We got Gentle Home is a skincare product. So apparently this man's made of skincare product. Tylos began. The other cut in like... Where are you going? And what you'll be doing there, field man? You're going right on to the end of the fields, the fringe, where like as not the monsters will get you and that you'll be doing there is a, a good hard work, uh, unless you want the speaker to set your sins hard on you. Uh, see them there? He flicked the end of his engagement pole at the bushes of the fi- his engagement pole uh, at the bushes of the fields. Ah, uh, them's our cash crop, Latimus. You can't set on Latimus until you have a bare field. No shoots, no runners, nothing. A bare field. And on the fringe, getting a bare field takes some doing. Uh, a mighty lot of axing and grubbing and cutting, and we aim to get us up the good Latimus fields for y'all go into account for your sinning. Burp course, young Cosberg uh, leaned over to stare straight into Talos's eyes. There are some sinners as don't want to aid the clear sky work. No, they don't. And them has to be lessened and lessened good. My sire back there, he's a good lessener. Speaker puts the word on him to reckon with real sinners. We're sky people. We don't hold with killing or such like of off-world sinning. Uh, but sometimes lessening sits heavy in a hard-hearted sinner. Though his words might be obscure, uh, his 
Meaningless not. There was a threat there, uh, one that was young Cosberg took pleasure in delivering. Tylo shrank back and sidled away from the driver's seat, and Cosberg laughed again <laughs> and turned his back to the laborer. But Tylos now stood as still as the jolting of the wagon would let him, staring out over the countryside. When he spoke again, it was in a half-whisper to Niall. Nasty lot, not by half, they ain't. Work a man, work him to death, more than likely. And here's the frontier planet. Uh, probably now the only one that's got a spaceport. Niall decided the little man was thinking aloud rather than he was talking to his, uh, talking to him in confidence. Gotta play this nice and easy. No pushing a star till you're sure you've got a line on the comet's tail. Oh, that's a pretty artful and really 1960s sci-fi way of saying that. No fast moving. The lessons talk. Uh, isn't that good here? Uh, think that he has us all right, does he? Well, let him think it. Just let him. Niall's head was aching, and the lurching of the cart turn the page, was beginning to make him queasy. While he sat down across from the still-staring ex-spaceman, he tried to think. The agreement he had signed in the labor office, it had been quite detailed. Uh, so much advanced, Niall's memory shied away violently from the thought of how that advance had been spent. Oh, so much for expenses, for shipment to this world. He had no idea of the value of the bark that Cosberg had paid for him. But that should be learned, and by the agreement, he should be able to repay uh, that and be a free man. But how soon? Eh. Best settle down and learn what he could, keep eyes and ears open. The dipple had been a static kind of death, and he was a chance of something. Uh, where he had, eh, no idea, he was hoping again. Dwan Renfro, oh my god, had been a free trader, born in a line of such explorers and reckless space rovers. Though Niall could hardly remember his father, as some of the intuition and abilities had unsettled the restless type, where inherited qualities of mind and body. <clears throat> Malani Renfro was a, uh, of a frontier world, uh, though one as far different from Janus as the autumn was from spring. He had a, a third generation from the first ship there, and the people still had been exploring rather than settling, to observe, to learn, to experiment with new and where desires needs, uh, which had lain dormant in Niall, growing up in the vise of the devil. Now that the uh, need awoke, had stirred. When they stopped for a meal of gritty bread and dried berries, Niall watched the beasts munching their fodder. Oh, the driver of the second car was small and thin and seemed a scar of an old blaster burned puckering the side of his head. Uh, plainly, uh, another off-world laborer. Uh, what, do you, what do you call them? Niall asked him. Faz. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> his answer came in one word. Native here? Niall persisted. No. Uh, they brought him first ship. He pointed with his chin rather than uh, hand to Cosberg's. First ship, Niall started, <clears throat> and tried to remember the scant information on Janus. Surely the settlers had been established here longer than one generation. Uh, came in 20 years ago. These sky lovers uh, brought settlement here from the Carbon Combine and moved in. Only the port's free land now. Free land? Uh, free of off-worlders. Uh, rest all sky lovers, holdings, families, guards, uh, pushing out a little more of each year. Again, his chin pointed. This time to the dusky line on the horizon. Gotta watch yourself around these fires. Ugh. Look peaceful, but uh, they ain't always not with the strangers, and they can use them uh, teeth to crack up more uh, Borlag's nut. 
uh, do they if they want to. Uh, the teeth were long and white, startling so against the dark body fur of the animals, and very much on display, but the fars themselves appeared to be completely absorbed in eating and paid no attention to the men. Holla, <laughs> Gosberg, the elder bellowed enough, excite even the fars. Get them animals ready to move out. You, he waved, his wave put Niall in motion back to his own wagon. Climb up. As the afternoon wore on, the supply of latimus bushes dwindled by the roadside fields. Here and there were patches of grain and vegetables. The fences about them, the lighter shade, as if they had weathered for only a short space of time. Uh, but always the dusky shadow crept toward them, or that was the way Niall felt. It moved, a, a shadow advancing toward the men in the carts. Not man and carts creeping up to it. Uh, now it was clearly a dark forest, wall of trees. And here were evidences that it had not been uh, disposed easily. Vast stumps were in the fields, uh, some of them smoking as if eaten by fires, kept burning, so uh, to utterly destroy them, Niall had a vision of labor needed to win such a field from a virgin forest. He drew deep breath of wonder, and uh, he tried to put together what he guessed uh, and knew uh, about the guards, the men who worked them. Uh, clothing, carts, allusions, the speech of both, uh, Cosbergs, uh, the labor driven to Nile, this is boring. Uh, there have been many of these through the centuries after the first Hurrians ventured deep into the forest space and began their colonization of other words, groups knit together by some strong belief, sought out the empty worlds by which to plant their private utopias undisturbed by, quote, worldly, unquote, invaders. Some have become eccentricities to warp them, to lift them into civilization, totally alien to the past, the first settlers, the others liberated and dwindled, forgotten, leaving only the ruins and graves that mark the vanished troops. Nile was uneasy. Farm labor would be backbreakingly hard, and he expected that. Yeah. A fantastical belief was something else, a menace to such as he, uh, which was, uh, to his mind, worse than any natural danger in this strange planet. The free traders were also free believers, their cosmopolitan descents and occupations uh, making for a wide tolerance of men and ideas. The guiding spirit of Maliani's home world, a, a kindly world, had been recognized by the worshippers here as a gentle and intolerant power. The narrow and rigid molds some men set to imprison their belief of the force above beyond the great human uh, striving uh, were much a danger to the danger of their myths as blaster in the hands of an open and avowed enemy. And now that sinister talk of lessening, which young Cosberg had used earlier, struck home to Niall. He longed passionately for a chance to ask questions, but again, such inquiries as he wanted to make uh, might as well uh, bring down upon him the very attention that he wished least to attract. Those questions concerning religion uh, and purpose were oftentimes forbidden, even to the followers within the mold of a fanatical community. No, better to watch, listen, and try to put the pieces together for himself now. The wagon turned from the road into the narrower land and then passed the gate to the stake, a, uh, a stake wall higher than any other field partition, one that might have been erected as a defense rather than to mark a division between one section of the land and the next, and the and their, and their coming was greeted by a baying. Hounds. Enough like terrain, uh, Terran animals that had borne their designation to be named so. A half dozen of them running and, and, and leaping behind another and lower fence with their slavering out their challenge to the newcomers. Oh, Niall watched that display. Oh, what a menace living in the shadow of those now plainly visible forests moved the Garth dwellers to keep such a pack? Hmm? Or... There was a chill between his shoulder blades, creeping down his spine. Were those guards to keep workers like himself in line? 
The carts pulled onto a hollow square surrounded by buildings, and I all forgot the hounds momentarily to gape at the main house of the guard. That, that thing was fully as tall as two stories of the Corwar Dipple. Ugh. But it was a single tree trunk laid on its side with the windows cut into two rows and a wide door of still scaled bark. Why, the stumps he marveled at in the fields were but the same remains of the saplings. Compared with this monstrosity, yeah, exclamation point, this kind of trees did make up the forest of, of Janus. Well, while I uh, go upstairs and prepare myself for you in the master bedroom to read to you the upcoming latest romance novels from Penguin Random House books, why don't you listen to this commercial uh, by a weird, creepy guy from 1982 who sounds like a weird QAnon conspiracy theorist while selling his wines. And now, a personal message from the owner of Bully Hill Vineyards, Walter S. Have you ever wondered why there is such confusion created by the U.S. federal courts regarding the owner of Bully Hill and their forced concealment of his heritage? Because not only are we the largest 100% New York State winery, but we are the only one that fearlessly reveals exactly what is in our 100% New York State Bully Hill Wines and Champagnes. This is important because we want to be a party in the feeding of forbidden fears, fantasies, and anxieties regarding the secrets behind our wonderful, clean, and peerless taste. By exercising your right to personal reality, involvement, and selection, our Bully Hill concepts are at your disposal. Through intimate exposure at your local personal wine shop, where the mystery will reveal itself totally. Ah, there you are. I've been waiting for you here in the master bedroom. It's quite a twist that for once, I'm waiting for you to show up and get done peeing. And there you are, uh, dressed, some sort of... What the hell is that? It's a safari-style button-up shirt with weird pleated shorts. And you got like a wig on with long gray hair. Uh, you're going to make me guess it. Oh, you're waving around a book called Barbarian Mind by Ruby Dixon, part of the Ice Planet Barbarians. The fourth novel in the international uh, publishing phenomenon, phenomenon, the Ice Planet Barbarians series, now in a special print edition. Oh, good, with bonus materials, thank God. An exclusive, exclusive epilogue. Harlow receives the shock of her life when she wakes up to see Ruka, a stranger who has clearly been on his own his whole life, but she soon learns that there is much more to this gruff, barbaric alien than the savage she appears to be. Oh, the ice planet's given uh, me a second lease on life, so uh, now it's in the first person. So I'm thrilled to be here. Sure, there are no cheeseburgers, (laughs) but I'm healthy and ready to be a productive member of this small tribe. Well... What I didn't anticipate? That there'd be a savage stranger waiting nearby, watching me. And when he, when he takes me captive, the unthinkable happens. I resonate to him. 
Residence means mating. And what kind of review is this? Residence means mating and children. But I don't know if this guy's ever been around anyone before. Ruka is utterly wild. He's completely uncivilized. Yeah, he can't speak more than a few words. He doesn't know uh, what clothes are. Uh, a human, a human woman is mystifying to him. He's a truly barbarian in all ways. And like Tarzan in the stories, he's kidnapped me and claimed me for his own. <laughs> Being with him means I'm going to have to teach him to speak. Uh, how to kill and how to be human, or even alien. It should be a terrifying prospect. So why is that that I crave his touch and hunger for more? That sounds just, oh, you're Jane Goodall. I get it now. That's disturbing. You just gave Jane Goodall a kind of an edge with those apes that this woman was doing with the barbarians. Uh, that's Barbarian Mine by Ruby Dixon, part of the Ice Planet uh, Barbarian series. Uh, it's paperback for 17 bucks, coming out September 13th, 2022. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Bookshop.org, Hudson Booksellers, Indiebound, Powell's, Target, and Walmart. Well, I'm thoroughly disgusted by your outfit and the tone of this book. Uh, so why don't we just uh, go back down to the library and finish reading our story? Chapter 3. Uh, treasure Trove, Niall leaned against the supporting haft of the big stripping axe. On his body, bare to the waist, silver dust was puddled in patches of sweat. Overhead, the sun, which seemed so pale on the first day of his arrival, proved its force with waves of heat. His, uh, his head turned as if it were so often had these past weeks toward the cool green of the woods that they were attacking. Uh, the dim reaches of the dark green were as promising as a pool into which a man could plunge his sweating, heart-seared body. Heat-seared body. I read that wrong. You know, ever since they mentioned the sun thing, I read recently that somebody, or it's common for people that were born deaf uh, without the gift of hearing that suddenly achieve it later thanks to medical uh, magic, uh, they say the most surprising thing to them is that the sun doesn't make any noise. They're walking around deaf their whole life, and they're convinced that that hot, burning sun up there has got to be making noise. So they're really surprised when they go outside and it doesn't make a goddamn sound. So that's what I was just thinking of. And then I stopped paying attention when I was reading, which is why I fucked up, and I meant to say heat-seared body to relax, to dream. Cosberg had lost no time after their arrival uh, at this fringe garth in the outlining of his new hands uh, all the dire dangers of that woodland which beckoned so enticingly and not the least of those perils were marked by solitary uh, ruined hut that had shown them uh, well within one strip of the forest that licked out into the painfully freed acres now cursed land this is a sentence that makes no sense which no man would dare to trouble the hut they viewed it from a safe distance had been and still was the tomb of a sinner one who had offended so greatly against the sky as to be struck down by the green sick. Again, none of that made any sense. The believers did not kill. No, oh, they simply abandoned to the chill loneliness of the forest those who contracted that incurable disease, which was sent to them as a punishment, and what suffer raving in the high fever of the first stages would survive alone, unattended in the wild. Also, uh, who knew what other dangers lurked under the shadow of the great trees? There were no uh, monsters seen from time to time, always viewed in the early morning. Oh, there were the monsters. 
Yeah, I screwed that one up again. Still thinking about deaf people in the sun. In the early morning before the sun's rising or into the twilight, Niall wondered about those, quote, monsters, unquote. Uh, the stories Cosberg's household related with relish were wild enough, but the creature or creatures described were surely born from over-vivid imaginations. Yeah, and the tales uh, agreed only upon the fact that the unknown was nearly the same color as the vegetarian wherein uh, it sheltered. And, uh, and that it had four limbs? Hmm. As to whether it uh, walked erect on two or ran on four, the foundation appeared to be divided, and against it the hounds of the guards had an ab- abiding hate. Curiosity was not one of the character traits the settlers uh, either possessed in good supply or encouraged. Niall's first fears concerning the inbound quality of the society on Janus had been fully substantiated. The belief of the sky lovers was a narrow, fiercely uh, reactionary one. Oh, those living on the guards may as well step back a thousand years or more into the past history of their kind. Yeah. <sighs> There was no desire to learn anything of the native Janus, only dogged day-in, day-out efforts to tame the land, uh, made it conform to their own off-world pattern of life, uh, where another type of settler would have gone exploring into the vastness of the forest lands. The sky lovers shunned the woods, except when armed with an axe, a lopping knife, a shovel, uh, and the thirst for breaking, chopping, and digging. You, uh, Renfro, been to it. That was... Lastja tramping up to the Lastja tramping up to the half-baked clearing, his own axe across his shoulder. He had been the longest in the Cosberg Labor Service, and uh, so took upon himself the hustling of the latest counters. Behind him came Tylos, carrying a slopping water bucket. His face came uh, puckered in an attempt to act out the pain, such as a vast effort cost him. Uh, the, the ex-crook from Core War uh, was striving to use every wile and trick he had in his spotted past to make life for himself as easy as he could. Oh, his first day at clearing, he brought him back early to the Garth uh, stead with a swollen ankle from what Niall thought was a carefully calculated misstroke of a grubbing hook. Hobbling about the buildings, uh, he then strove to initiate himself into the kitchen and weaving house and a quick sly tongue as busy as his hands were slow until the women folk of Cosberg's establishment accepted him as part of their aids to labor. So he escaped the fields, though Niall, having heard the flaying tongue of the mistress of the household in full flap, doubted whether Tylos had won the better part. Now he leaned against the bole of a fallen tree and smirked behind Lasja's broad back, winking at Niall as the latter began to shape up from the riding logs. Seen any of them monsters? He asked as uh, Niall turned the page, passed and came over for a drink. Reckon their hides might bring good price down the port and anyone smart enough to take them out of a pair of hounds will do a little hunt. His half-suggestion only pointed up the thought that uh, he was back uh, of all newcomers' minds, the driving hope of somehow managing to get some trade goods independently, to build up credits at the port uh, someday, no matter how far away, to earn one's freedom. Lasja scowled. You stole that. Ain't never going to get any trade goods. You know that, Scuttlebug. Anything you get or find belongs to the Garth Master, and don't you go forget that. I hate the way this person speaks. Want to be judged a first-degree sinner and have the speaker reckon with you? Niall glanced over at the rim of the wooden dipper. Uh, what would a man get or find around here, Lazga, uh, that's worth bringing to a speaker? 
Uh, Laz just scowled black him. Sinful things, he muttered. Niall allowed the dipper to splash back into the bucket. He was aware of Sim Tylos' sudden start, stilling instantly into a, a watchful waiting. And when the big man did not continue, it was Tylos who asked the question in both their minds. Sinful things, eh? Uh, and we're, and we're them, Lazja. We don't want to get no speaker on our backs. Uh, better tell us what we ain't uh, to pick up, and if we're finding them, or else do we get into trouble. Uh, we could say as how we was never told no different. This, Cosberg, he's a terror on two legs. All right, and he, he might listen to us saying something like that. Tylos was right. Stern and narrow as the Garthwell's creed, their sense of justice still worked. Justice, not mercy, of course. Lazja paused, his axe still upraised, his lower lip eh, pushed out so that he had the side profile of some awkward off-world bird thing, round-headed, outthrust bill. All right, all right. He brought down the axe mightily and then let the haft uh, slip through his hand until the head rested on the chip-chatted ground. Uh, sometimes men working out in the clear of the forest, uh, they find things. Oh, what kind of things? And I'll put up the question. Uh, but Lazarus' discomfort was growing. Uh, things, well, you might say, as how they were like treasures. Treasures, Tylos broke out and then clamped his pale lips tightly together, uh, though his avid interest blazed in his narrow eyes. Uh, what kind of treasures? Niall asked. I don't know, just things. Uh, rich looking. And what happens to him? Tylus's tongue stopped as his passage got across his lips long enough for him to ask. The speaker comes and then they break them all into bits and burn them. Why? Niall demanded. Because uh, they're cursed, that's why. Anyone that touches them is cursed too. Tylus laughed. That's rich. That is, uh, of course they're cursed. Do we find them? Uh, we might take them down to the port and buy ourselves free. Uh, why smash them up? They could use some treasure here, import machines, and, and then we could have, uh, have, have to go breaking our, our backs, cutting down the trees, and grubbing out stuff. Laz just shot him a hard glass. You ain't breaking your back none, Tylos. And the Sky Lovers don't use no machines. Anyway, does a man try to hold out on treasure, and then they learn it, and, he, and then he gets to put it out there, and he jerked a thumb at the forest. Alone, no grub, no tools, nothing. But it's bare hands, and you ain't selling nothing at the port. Uh, you don't get to the port unless they make sure that you, they got nothing a man's got on him but his clothes over his bare skin. No, they's right. That treasure's not for the taking. Uh, when it's found, the finder sings out, uh, and loud, too. Uh, where does it come from? I thought uh, this was an empty world with no native race, Niall said. Sure, never found no people here. Funny thing, I've uh, heard a lot of talk, but uh, here's planet's been known for about a hundred years, planet time. Uh, carbon, chybine, uh, bid in the first survey auction. Just on Spee, Spee, Spec. I hate this book. Uh, that was uh, before the war, long before, but they, they didn't do much uh, more than just hold it on to their books. Sent in a couple exploring parties who didn't see more trees and mess trees over the place. And then there's a couple of narrow little uh, seas. Uh, all the rest is forest. No minerals has registered high enough to pay for an exporting nothing, but a lot of wood. Uh, then, when it looked like the combines were stretching too far, most of them started unloading worlds. I hate the way they wrote this person, how they talk. There's no G. It's unloading with an apostrophe at the end. And every single word has got apostrophes at the end. And it's impossible to read out loud. These sky lovers, oh, they, they were over on some hard-spoiled scrap of an overbaked world which gave them a hard-scrabble living. 
Somehow they got down the payment for the uh, carbon and jumped the gulf there. And uh, that's this is so boring. This expert is so boring. <laughs> then the war broke. Well, they uh, had it made. <coughs> Carbons, Holdens were all enemy, and then they cracked wide open, and nobody came round here asking for what was still owing. Far as I know, the Sky Lovers had, had Janice free and cleared all themselves. But they got they get out Latimus and Bark enough to keep out the port open to themselves and on the trade map. That's all the history we know, and there's never been no sign of natives. Just these treasures turning up every once in a while, no pattern to it neither, no ruins, nothing. To say how they were ever any anything out here but trees. And those have been growing, some of them high uh, uh, onto 2,000 planet years. Uh, might just be that this was some sort of hideout for raiders of some such, and that they never found no marks on the ship landing either. All the sky lovers, all they, all they have in the treasures they planted the dark one just to make a man sin. Uh, and so far, they ain't found nothing to prove that wrong. Tylos laughed scornfully. Silly way of thinking. Maybe... But it's theirs, and they gotta say here, Lazja Ward. Did you ever really see... This book is exhausting. Did you ever really see any such treasures? And I went back to his stripping job. Once, over on Morham's Garth. Here's to the south, next holding, and that was the last fall. That's when we were doing the season burning. It was his son that found it, and they had the speaker in the right way, rounded us all up for praying and the breaking. It don't do much good, though. They only kind of proved their point about it being sinful. How? Because just about a week or of days later, a week of days later, God, I hate this so much. That this, I also hate that they say, like, an Earth mile. <laughs> so stupid. Or planet mile, I mean. Uh, same uh, son as found it, came down with the green sick. Oh, they carted him off the forest then, and I was one of the guards that they were set for uh, watching. The watching? Yeah. With the green sick, they go plumb out of their heads. Sometimes they run wild. You can't get them to go back to where there's people. Oh, they touch you and you can get it too. So if they try to uh, break back, you rope them, and pull them in, and tie them up to some tree. Leave sick people that way to die? Niall stared at Lazja. Oh, ain't nothing. Uh, it can be done for them, so there's no cure at all. Uh, the poor Motoko uh, says that they uh, could affect a whole lot of us. Uh, sometimes their folks give them a, a sleep drink, so they just die that way. Uh, that ain't right, according to the speakers. So they ought to be made known how they sinned. And listen here, boy, the green sick ain't nothing you want, nor to look at neither. You ain't human no more. Once begins on you, last you chopped a tree. They say that it, you know, it's never, it never touches no one unless he's broken some kind of rule of theirs. Uh, been different somehow. That Morheem boy... He was lessened once or twice by his father uh, right out before the whole Garth for doing wrong. So when he, when he took sick, it was a judgment-like. You believe that? Niall asked. God, this conversation won't end. How many more pages are left? Three. Oh, God. <laughs> Les just shrugged. Seen it work that way or heard how it does. Yeah, we get the concept. We can just move on. Them that takes the green sick, oh, they've all had some trouble with the rule. Once it was a girl, it was kind of queer in the head. Used to want to go into the forest. <clears throat> Said as how she liked the trees. She got less and good wandering off. It's a little thing that she was not full growed yet. And they found her burning up in her bed place one night and took her off to the woods. Ah, we're pretty. Ah, she cried a lot. And her mother, uh, she was Cosberg's second woman, uh, she took on something awful. Old man had her locked up for a couple weeks until uh, she was sure it was all over. Niall chopped savagely. Why did they just kill her? It uh, would have been kinder. 
Lester grunted. Nah, they didn't figure so being kind to her body would save her spirit. So she had to die hard in order to get rid of her sin. Uh, they think that if a man don't die in the clear, as they calls it, uh, he'll be on the shadow uh, always. Whatever. If you sin big, you gotta pay for it. Makes a, a lot harder to deal with one way or another sometimes. Uh, you can't change their way of thinking, and it's not the best of metal, and to hold on to the lessons good for everyone, and just hold on, don't believe, and now we have enough of the jaw, and so Tylos, you take your tricks, take the bucket, spit in the ground, take the Garth Master, have you load Tylos, his bucket slopping, hurried as long as he was in Laska's sight. Probably that scuttle would drop to a crawl as soon as he put a screen of brush between them. Since usually uh, Tacturn Lasja seemed in an open-jawed mood, Niall determined to make the most of an opportunity to learn what he could. Lasja, has everyone ever uh, bought free here? Bought free? The axeman appeared to jerk out of some private behalf of thought. He grinned, uh, oh, you needn't wear yourself out, boy, thinking about that. If and you could shoulder the Faz and trot them twice round the Garth, uh, then you can think of buying free. This is a dirt-poor world, and Cosberg is in an outer fringe holding. He ain't going to let uh, loose any pair of hands he gets, not while he still work like that. Uh, and, and you're right, you're puny, and you don't uh, shirk like Tylos. You do a day's work right enough, me. I was prisoner of a war at Avalon. They came round to the camp and made labor offers. I took that better than staying and going, mad with being cooped up. And when I came here, sure, I had big ideas about doing my time and buying free, only this is the way out of it. All the land, every stinking wood-rotten bit of it, belongs to Sky, according to their reckoning, and the only true believer can get the rights to take up a guard. And this is the trick star in their game. You can't uh, be no true believer unless you were born so, and they made them a pact. When they took off from that uh, mistake of a world where they were roosted before, that they wouldn't let no disturbing outsiders with different ideas. So you gotta be born a believer, and you can't uh, up and say as how you'd like to join them now. Once here, they got you in tighter than an airlock door. Oh, you can go up against them and get yourself lessened, uh, and maybe thrown out of the woods, and then they got you just where you suits them. Now, you do that... Uh, there's some smoothing down. Uh, we better have a fair load of the old man when he comes sniffing around. I hate this book so much. How far were they from the port? Uh, good day's travel in the in the Faz drawn carts. Maybe longer on foot? Oh, how could anyone work out an escape even if you were able to reach that single tie with the space? Oh, to hire a passage on a spacer would cost indeed a treasure. And to, to try to work some deal with any ship's commander would be taken on his crew would be useless. The sympathies of the officers would all be with the master, the one trying to escape, and if there were no system of legal buy-free, dot, 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 Niall dug savagely with the point of his axe against the hardwood, he hated to believe that Lasja's gloomy report was the truth. But it sounded likely, ah, you take that rope, Laska uh, broke into his assistance, turned the page, train of discouraging thought, and try out another of them logs, you can plunk it down about here. Niall put down the axe and went back to where the trees had been felled during the past two days. He was still out of the coverage of the full forest, but the mass of greenery just beginning to wilt was somehow refreshing. Ah, there was a different feel here to the land, smells that were, hmm, aromatic, free from the taint of human living. On impulse, he stripped off handfuls of silver-green leaves, their touch fur soft against his damp skin. When he held him close to his nose, he drank in the spicy fragrance. He was filled with a sudden desire to keep on going into the domain of the trees. What if a man did take to the woods? What would uh, mean becoming an outlaw in an unknown country? 
Uh, but there was a, a state so much worse than the Garth life. Uh, his mind nibbled at what he honked down to, to uh, not the rope about a tree trunk in the burp twist of cordage cut cruelly into his shoulder and on the first pull uh, there was a resistance uh, too much Niall felt again saw the branch had been cut into a soft place on the ground and, and pinned the tree there fast with his lopping knife he set to work digging that free sunlight lay in ragged patches and something blazed and, and leaping uh, light where he dug Niall clawed out loose handfuls of moist loam and uncovered what lay beneath he blinked Lazge's stories had not prepared him for this, and truly, what was it? A figure of... Was it a tree? A ball? A box? A rod the length of his palm and perhaps two inches thick? A necklace! Spilling a circlet of green fire droplets onto the gray soil, Niall's hand closed upon the rod and brought it into full sight. He drew a deep breath of pure wonder. There had been so many years of drabness... Uh, of ugliness, and now he could not give a name to what he held in his hand. The substance was cold, with the pleasant coolness of spring water cupped in a sweaty hand that had to be brought to a thirsty mouth, and it was all light green, gold, uh, opine, jeweled light. It was a form in traces of patterns to entrance and enchant the eyes. It was a fabulous wonder uh, that was his, his! Moved by some instinctive fear, Niall sat half-crouched, looking about him, smashed, burned. That's what Lash just said was to be done with such things. Sure, that was part of their narrow world. Break beauty, destroy it, as if they broke and destroyed the beauty of the forest. He had not the slightest hope of keeping the entire uh, treasure. He had no desire to. But his, uh, but the, this rod... This tube, with all its imprisoned magic splendor, that was not to be broken. Last year could be, it would be along at any moment, and Niall had no doubt about the other's reaction. Oh, he called Cosberg at once. Uh, where? Where was a hiding place? He balled his fist tightly about the treasure in the woods. Perhaps he could find a place of concealment there. Niall got to his feet, stole into the shadow of the trees, and saw there on the bowl of one dark hole. He thrust the tube into that hollow just as Lasja called from close at hand. Niall leaped, kicked soil back, took up a rope to pull as the other came into view. He dared not turn his head to see how much dirt his kicks had replaced, whether he had once again concealed the rest of the treasure. Ah, you empty-headed uh, jackwit. <laughs> Lasja bore down up on him. Uh, what are you doing? Pulling out your guts of that way? Are you going to climb under that thing? The older man went down on one knee to dig with his lopping knife, just as Niall had done before him. Then that busy arm paused. Lasja tumbled away as if he had been laid a hand on a lurking jack-to-worm. Oh, for Christ's sake. He scrambled to his feet and, and grabbed Niall, propelling him away from the tree. And at that same time, he gave a carrying call that would summon Crosberg. It was a plane. Lasja was obeying the rule. Oh, thank God the chapter's done. Well, with that, why don't we try to relax from all that horse shit and uh, go down to the smoking room where we can review what we just read. Ah, there you are, still wearing your Jane Goodall outfit. That's disgusting. Uh, so, what do we, uh, what do we, let's recap the story. What is there to recap? Basically, he gets off the ship, uh, and he's, uh, sitting around, uh, being picked, like a slave trade sort of situation, so that was disturbing. 
Uh, and they, they basically say, get in the cart. We're going to take you out to the woods where you're supposed to just chop trees. And that's pretty much it. Next chapter, you find out uh, while you're chopping trees, you might randomly find jewelry on the ground, even though there doesn't seem to be any sign of any civilization or anything at any point. Um, and if you touch it, they make it pretty clear that if you touch the jewelry, you're going to get a horrible disease. And uh, then you're going to have to get stuck out into a house by yourself where you're going to lose your mind. And uh, if you try to run back to the city, they'll just tie you to a tree till you die. Uh, and also there's this religious cult that worship the sky. So, uh, one, why do you need humans to chop down trees if you have spaceships? If you can have the technology to make a spaceship, you could probably have the technology to just create a big machine that just chops down a shitload of trees all at once. You don't need people out there. So uh, they even say, like, oh, there's all this treasure everywhere. We don't see any signs of life. And we thought, oh, maybe it's space pirates. And the space pirates. But we don't see any landing tracks. So, yes, the technology, they can, it's around them. They should just have a big machine that cuts down trees. You don't need, like, a bunch of little weak people out there doing it, getting diseases from whatever kind of trinkets they find on the ground. Uh, what's good? I don't know. This story's still basically starting. We're in chapter three. Uh, what sucks? I can talk a lot about what sucks. The exposition is ridiculous. It's like that uh, the episode of uh, Rick and Morty where the robot wants to talk about the robot wars. And he goes, oh, God, I wish I was you hearing this for the first time. Oh, where do I start? He starts talking about the robot wars. And it's just very long and detailed and boring. That's what this book's doing with all the talk about buying up Janus and uh, their contracts and then sending out. It's just stupid. I hate that they say Planet Miles and Planet Minutes. That was pretty dumb. I hate all the names that are being used in this book. That's pretty stupid. Uh, so that's just touching the tip of the iceberg about what sucks. Uh, also, that he's being told, don't touch don't touch the goddamn trinkets. If you see a, a luck charm down there, don't touch it, because it's going to give you the green disease. But what does our guy Niall do? He sees it. He's like, oh, sweet. I'm keeping that for me. Even though he's just told not to do it and why you shouldn't do it. What do we learn? If you're new someplace and someone gives you a tip, listen to the tip. Don't say, well, that's stupid. I'm going to go do it. On. If they say don't touch the trinkets, then don't touch the trinkets. All right. Well, with that, uh, thanks for listening. And we will see you uh, maybe in a couple of weeks now that I'm managing multiple podcasts. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, uh, along with episodes from the Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a house nuzzle. So you got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, 
And since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com. But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's gotta be one left. 